I'm Talia Johnson-Watkins. And I'm David West. And you're listening to In the Public Interest. On KTSW, the other side of radio. Today's show focuses on the First Amendment and how it can interact with school campuses. The First Amendment is all about freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and the freedom to assemble and petition the government, rights that many people don't realize they enjoy. One of the great things about college is that we all come from different walks of life and different places, so we all have different ways of viewing the world. Here on campus, this means that sometimes you hear things you've never heard before. Learning how to deal with new ideas that may conflict with held beliefs is something that many college students deal with. Sometimes these ideas can be seen as controversial. Universities and schools around the country are constantly learning how to let ideas flourish while creating a safe environment for students. How schools react to controversial topics can vary from school to school. Shannon Sampson has more on campuses and controversy. The First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution states that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. The First Amendment is crucial to a democratic government. Simply put, Americans have the fundamental right of assembly, freedom of the press, freedom of religion, and freedom of speech. The U.S. government is legally bound by the First Amendment to protect free speech rights within all governmental agencies, including public colleges and universities. However, in a 2010 survey by the American Association of Colleges and Universities, only 36% of the 24,000 students surveyed said that they strongly agreed to the statement, it is safe to hold unpopular views on campus. In the same survey, 19% of the 9,000 campus professionals surveyed strongly agreed to the same statement. Each year, the Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education, or FIRE, releases a survey on the 10 worst schools for free speech. Texas State University made its way onto the list this year for the university administration's response to a controversial opinions article that was published in the University Star in November. Program officer for the Individual Rights Defense Program at FIRE, Adam Steinball, said that the university administration should have defended the rights of the paper and pushed back against calls by the student body president to defund the newspaper. That the university administration should have said that the University Star has a First Amendment right to publish uh, opinion pieces that might offend others, and their funding is not going to be jeopardized for their choice to do so. Freedom of the press is very important. Uh, this is a good example of how... Uh, easy it could be to threaten uh, a newspaper's funding at a state university. Aside from making their list, FIRE also assigned Texas State a yellow light rating, meaning that the institution may be implementing policies that can be interpreted as suppressing protected speech or policies restricting narrow categories of speech. 58.6% of the 461 public institutions surveyed were also given yellow light ratings. According to the National Coalition Against Censorship, or the NCAC, public colleges are bound by the First Amendment to not discriminate against particular ideas, no matter how controversial they might be. Executive Director of the NCAC, Chris Finan, said that it is important to allow speech from all sides because college campuses are places that should encourage learning. What we're seeing on, on campus is a period of turmoil that is a response to, you know, the changing nature, the changing composition of, of colleges, which are increasingly diverse, which is, you know, a good thing. And as a result, there are pressures and anxieties and tensions that get expressed in different ways and 
certainly in the start of diversity, a potential for conflict. And that sometimes gets expressed as in demands for censorship. But I think there are, you know, there are obviously legitimate and important points that are being made by those, those advocates. Finan said that the NCAC encourages the use of protesting as a means of expressing discontent towards democratic injustices. That's across the board. We support everybody's right, no matter what their point of view, to, to protest what they, they consider as an injustice, because that's the process by which we do address the problems in a democracy. Where we draw the line is when students attempt to suppress the speech of those they disagree with because the, because they disagree with them because they don't like their ideas. So we believe absolutely that people have to have to be allowed to speak no matter how hateful we may consider their views um, because that is the only way that people who who oppose them have an opportunity to respond. I feel it's dangerous, you know, to try to suppress one side of an argument, no matter what we're talking about. You know, we are in favor of conversation, debate, in general, in, in dealing openly with ideas. And, you know, that's our, that's our bottom line. Texas State University currently upholds an open campus free speech policy, but most protesting or rallies occur at the Stallion statue located in the Quad. Associate Professor of Practice in the School of Journalism and Mass Communication at Texas State, Kim Fox, said that although the university has an unofficially designated free speech zone, the campus does indeed have open free speech policies. From my understanding, from what Trouth said at the Senate hearing, the university doesn't have a limited free speech zone, right? So we talk about the Stallions being the free speech zone because I think historically that's been the way it was treated and that is historically where people go to have protests or rallies or speak or whatever right and it's 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 sort of the iconic center of campus and it's it's sort of what's expected there but by university policy my understanding is that all, the entire campus is a free speech zone right which which that would be the way it's supposed to be as per the Constitution and laws governing all of that. So because we're a place of education, there are some rules that limit some things, right? So like I know amplified sound is limited when classes are in progress, right? And so there are some things that make perfect sense. Like you can't be using speakers or a bullhorn outside a classroom because you'd be disrupting education, but that any place on campus is a, a free speech zone. Disagreements and debates on differing opinions are normal and should be encouraged, especially in a learning environment. Fox said that college is a time for learning and challenging your beliefs as well as others' beliefs. One of the things that I think is really interesting, and that's what I love about college, is that there's stuff you don't know, right? There's stuff students don't know. I mean, there's stuff I don't know, right? So, I mean, this is about learning in general, and especially at this time in your life and at this this in, in this environment. So, one of the things that I hear from students is that hate speech they first of all sometimes students erroneously say hate speech is not protected hate speech is fully protected and hate speech is exactly the kind of thing that most people don't like right like i don't like it so i think it's what's really good about this time as challenging as it is is it's a great opportunity to help us understand what it means to feel uncomfortable and that that's why we have these rules and these rights right because we don't need to be comfortable all the time. We need to be protected in our freedoms. And that often means being uncomfortable. Fox said that it would be too simple to dismiss opinions that challenge or make us uncomfortable. I think I'm more comfortable speaking from the perspective of 
the like campus media and the journalism of it because I think one of the things that's important is to make the distinction between campus media and its independence and the purpose of campus media and free speech, which is, you know, those are two different parts of the First Amendment. And so for me, campus media is about having diverse voices, right? So it's an independent media. It's, we don't need the First Amendment for opinions that are popular, right? We need the First Amendment for opinions that are unpopular. And it's important for us to hear opinions that are unpopular. So I think that's, you know, that's the purpose of campus media. That's also the purpose of free speech rights when it comes down to it, right? I mean, protests or flyers or whatever, it, it, the First Amendment doesn't exist so that we can only listen and hear things that make us happy. And that's why we need to protect them. The important thing is remembering that each person has a right to freedom of speech, but sometimes we need to maintain awareness of how our speech may affect others. Shannon Sampson in The Public Interest. Respecting other people's rights is an important part of the foundation of our society. The First Amendment holds many of these rights, but it is not the only one. The Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, has gained a lot of attention because of a school shooting that took place in Florida last month, killing 17 people. Many students, including survivors of the shooting, have since been protesting and speaking out on both sides of gun control. Many of these students have been thrust into the national spotlight, most recently with the national walkout protest. The consequences of those that walked out varied by school, but some argue that this type of protest should be protected under the First Amendment. Camilla Juarez has more on high school protests and the First Amendment. The shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, on Valentine's Day left 17 students and staff dead and replaced the 1999 Columbine Massacre as the deadliest high school shooting in America. Students who survived the massacre are sick of sympathy and demanding action. Students are saying, never again, by launching waves of social media campaigns, boycotts on guns, and shaming the National Rifle Association, or the NRA. Several student protests and walkouts have been organized across the country. As a result, many students are being suspended or punished by administration. The superintendent of the school district Needville, Houston, Curtis Rhodes, wrote a letter to students and parents that was distributed the Tuesday after the shooting on social media page for the town's high school. Rhodes wrote that the Needville ISD would not be allowing any student demonstration during school hours and that all students involved in such behavior would be disciplined. What does behavior like this say about students' freedom of speech? To find out more, I talked to student lecturer and assistant director of the School of Journalism here at Texas State, Dr. Gilbert Martinez, who has been a media law and First Amendment professor for 20 years. Grade school students, high school students, minors have free speech rights. They have the right to express themselves, but the framework is that they are not allowed to disrupt the educational process. Okay, so if it's a silent protest, if they're wearing an armband to protest a war, um, as long as that's not disruptive of the classroom, uh, the Supreme Court has ruled that students specifically have that right. Now, when it comes to walking out of class, when it comes to um, uh, sit-ins or protests or things like that, schools uh, for minors, uh, teachers and administrators have greater authority to punish such behavior. On March 14th, a month after the Parkland shooting, thousands of students protested in front of the White House. At 9 a.m. across every time zone, students were silent for 17 minutes, one moment of silence for each person killed in the shooting. 
During this time at the White House, student protesters turned their backs to the building to represent how the government has turned its back on its lost students. Martinez says the March 24th March for Our Lives in Washington, D.C. is ideal for a protest because it is off campus and during non-school hours. And so that's a good idea to pick a day that's outside of school because then it doesn't disrupt the classroom, it doesn't disrupt the educational process, and it should be out of reach of school administrators who disagree with the content of their message. Students can be punished for disrupting class, but the case Tinker v. Des Moines gives students more protection. Martinez insists that school administrators need to be wary of these laws before making threats like Superintendent Rhodes. Yeah, I mean, they certainly could. You know, school officials and school districts are running the risk of a potential lawsuit if they're too heavy-handed in their response to punishing students. So students are required to go to school. So if a student doesn't go to school, that's one way a school could punish the student. But that's different from punishing a student because they're expressing a particular opinion about gun violence, just as an example. You know, so Tinker v. Des Moines Independent Community School District is still good law. Students do not shed their First Amendment rights at the schoolhouse gate. Um, Schools uh, for minors are not enclaves of totalitarianism, I'm quoting from the court decision. And what that means is that young people have First Amendment rights also. But what we also know from other cases, including Hazelwood v. Colmeyer and Bethel School District v. Frazier, is that there are decisions that have given schools greater authority over some parts of student expressive activities, such as student newspapers, yearbooks, theatrical productions, dress codes. Martinez argues that punishing students for exercising their First Amendment rights is wrong because students are often a forgotten margin. We shouldn't punish those with whom we disagree. We shouldn't punish young people just because we have authority over them. That's why it's problematic. You know, students look up to these administrators. They are in positions of power and they should exercise that power very carefully and reluctantly. Um, I mean, I think it would be a mistake, you know, to say that these students have nothing to say about this issue involving gun violence. They clearly have opinions. They should be heard. Martinez says their influence should not be ignored. And they are getting the attention of adults and legislators and everyone else um, when it comes to what they have to say. So, you know, just because they're minors doesn't mean that they don't that they don't have an opinion about these issues. These are directly relevant to their lives. Relevancy is true because according to a continuously updated article by CNN, for the year 2018, there's been on average one school-related shooting each week in the U.S. Student voices have created momentum that is influencing legislation. In Florida, a new gun control bill was signed by the governor earlier this month. The new gun law says that the state would raise the minimum age to purchase a gun to 21 instead of 18. The state would also implement other regulations that could potentially prevent another Parkland incident like banning bump stocks and requiring prospective gun buyers to wait three days before purchasing a gun. The NRA is suing Florida on the grounds that raising the legal age to purchase a gun infringes on Second Amendment rights. Our principal's doors is always open. Our teacher's doors are always open. So I think that's a great thing about our students is they they feel like they're being heard at all times. So um, we hope that communication that we've built throughout this school year, throughout previous school years, has allowed them to to give us feedback when is needed, um, especially during this time where um, a lot of inc- incidents are happening happening around the world um, at different 
you know, campuses and different schools. So we hope our students know that their voice is always being listened to and always being heard. San Marcos High School Executive Director of Communications, Andrew Fernandez, says San Marcos CISD students should feel free to talk and express themselves. It's refreshing to see young people involved in issues of public concern because they're a voice that we don't often hear and they're a voice that older people are sometimes quick to criticize that young people don't know what they're talking about, that young people don't have enough experience, that young people name your excuse. And I think the issue of gun violence at schools directly impacts them. And I think every minor who was going to school the next day after Parkland happened had that violent episode in mind and wondered, could that happen to me? Could that happen to my classroom, my school? And so I think that speaks to the relevance And I'm not even commenting on whether they're right or wrong. We all have to decide whether we agree or disagree with them. My point as a free speech advocate is that they are making a valuable contribution to public discourse on this issue. And we owe it to them and our free society to listen to them as we try to arrive at solutions to address these problems. For In the Public Interest, I'm Camelia Juarez. It makes sense that while you always have your rights, you may have to give up some or suffer some consequences throughout life. The important thing is knowing what rights you have. If you're unaware of protections granted to you, it's hard to use them to protect yourself when needed. As far as the freedom of speech goes, not all students choose to voice their opinions just by protesting or writing argumentative essays. Some students choose to write for the university paper, some choose to join different clubs and organizations, and some choose to express themselves through performance pieces. Theater, poetry, and music are all artistic expressions that are covered under the protection of free speech. This protection comes in handy for all artists, but especially comedians who might sometimes use crude and offensive content in their material. Adam Smith has more on how artists on campus are protected while expressing themselves. Freedom of expression is a fundamental right guaranteed to all Americans in the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights. But how we choose to express ourselves can vary. Many people associate the First Amendment with a free press, the free exercise of religion, and freedom of speech. But we also express ourselves through performance. Here at Texas State, Many students are getting up in front of crowds and performing stand-up comedy, poetry, and spoken word. These performances allow students to both express themselves creatively and engage audiences with their insight on the important issues of the day. Stand-up comedy is a vibrant example of expression. Many people say we're currently experiencing an era of comedy and stand-up like we've never seen before. Stand-up comedians no longer just tell jokes. Often their routines examine political issues, taboo subjects, and just flat-out offensive topics. Comedy is now being used to change minds and help people deal with tragedy. The Texas State Comedy Association is working to give student comedians a platform to express themselves and interact with the rest of the student body. Hey, I'm Garabus. I'm a comedian, and I feel like I need to say that because I don't think that's the vibe I give off at all. I feel like when people meet me, they either assume I'm like a theater kid or an arsonist. I don't know if it's one or the other. Something about like my hair, my, my shifty eyes and my diagonal body, I don't know. And I look like more of a tween's tween, you know what I mean? Like my dad looks like he could like build a house with his hands. I look like I know a lot about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all right? My dad, he looks like he could fight a bear and win. I look like I own a Blu-ray copy of Muppets Take Manhattan. I don't know, I guess I'm kind of a jokey boy, I guess you'd say. 
Like, like I say Garrett, you say Bus. Garrett. Bus. Garrett. Bus. I say Jokey, you say Boy. Jokey. Boy. Jokey. Boy. So I'm a Jokey boy. <laughs> Comedy Association founder Garrett Bus says he formed the group to help students hone their skills in stand-up comedy and also to give them a platform to express themselves. There's just there just wasn't any comedy in San Marcos really, like and especially none that I could just see looking on Facebook or that kind of stuff. And so I'd have to drive down to Austin pretty much every single night. And it was fun doing that. It was, it was fun going to the open mics there and, and kind of learning how to do stand-up, but it was also 40 minutes there, 40 minutes back, 80 minutes every single night, and I would get home at like 2 o'clock as a freshman. And so it was, it was like kind of taxing. So that's why I started the Comedy Association, so that we could like have some kind of comedy on campus that we could do so everyone wouldn't have to just drive for like an hour and a half just to be able to do any kind of real comedy. Stand-up comedians have to work hard to find that sweet spot when talking about controversial issues, but nothing's off the table. Buss says it can be challenging to talk about issues that some people might find offensive. But at this point, it's a necessary part of stand-up. Not just to push the art form forward, but to make audiences think about these issues in a different way. Something about stand-up seems like it's like relief that like everybody has. Like it seems like uh, whenever anything is taxing or anything is like a, a gross issue, in stand-up anyone and everyone's talking about it, which is nice, as opposed to other forms. It's hard to write a good comedy sketch about like say if there's a school shooting or something. That, that's difficult to put through that lens of comedy, but stand-up, you have hundreds and hundreds of people with their own unique perspective, one of them's gonna vibe with somebody. And so it's like, uh, not only is it fun because there's just so many great comedians out right now, but also pretty much every single topic that is around has been and will be talked about, which is like kind of comforting in a way. If the premise is gonna be like kind of volatile, things that like people are going to have hard opinions on one way or the other, as long as you have a strong enough punchline or as long as you have a strong enough idea that you can't get out of your mind, if you put that, pretty much any premise is possible to get past, you know what I mean? It all comes down to originality. The, a lot of people, I've seen a lot of comedians go on stage and say just a very blanket, dull thing that everybody said before about school shootings or about gay marriage or anything that could be like a little bit of a hot button issue. And then it's just not a good joke and no one will laugh and they'll be like, ah, this is just a PC crowd. That's not it at all. You have to be original. You have to have, especially when it comes to a hot, like, like a tough issue, you have to bump your originality way up to be able to like level that out. It can be difficult for women to break through in stand-up comedy. In recent years, more women have made an impact on the stand-up world, and more and more women can be seen out watching comedy shows. Buss says that since stand-up comedy has traditionally been a male-dominated art form, it's important to make an effort to be more inclusive. Most of the female members of Comedy Association are like some of the best sketch writers that we'll have. Yeah, so the ratio is obviously growing as time goes on, and it's more it, like the percentage is getting larger too. It's not just as we get more people, more girls show up. Most comedy happens in really gross places. Like I've done, I've done shows in really seedy bars, really uncomfortable places. And in those places, it is so uncomfortable for me to get on stage. I can't imagine what it would be like if I was also worrying about being stared at or any kind of like gross, any of that seedy stuff. So I think for the longest time, it's been kind of bringing unwanted attention or also kind of a general double standard on if a guy is like being gross or being nasty, he's just a dude. If a girl's being gross or nasty, then they're like, ah, ladies aren't funny. And so that's been for the longest time. That's, that's only started changing since like the 70s. Like that is so recent for that development, but it is happening faster and faster and faster every single day. 
The Texas State Comedy Association hosts open mics and showcases at George's. The showcases include stand-up, sketches, and improv. Another important form of expression is poetry and spoken word. You can find poets performing on campus at open mics quite frequently. At a recent Pan-African Action Committee open mic at George's, I spoke to Texas State first-year Brianna Miller about her choice to put herself out there and perform on stage. Miller says performing poetry and spoken word has opened up a whole new world for her, and she uses her time on stage for self-reflection. I started writing poetry in the sixth grade to like deal with depression from bullying and stuff. And then when I was in the seventh grade, I found a group called They Speak Poetry Slam in Austin, Texas. And it gave me a venue to not only write about it, but speak. And it was almost cathartic in a way. And it really helped with the healing and I was in therapy at the time. And so it was just a really, a way for me to get out what I was feeling instead of holding it in so much. Miller says she's found her niche here on campus. Performing has allowed her to build friendships and made her part of a supportive community. She cherishes those relationships and the connections she makes while she's on stage. With Texas State being such a big campus, it was kind of scary, but I'm glad that I have like you know found a passion and found that my passion has gotten me some kind of notoriety on campus. And so the main reason I do it now is, is really I see it as a way to help others because it's a way for me to tell my story in a way that's creative and fun and can be told in a way that other people can receive it and not feel so much like, a, like they're being vented to instead of they're being spoken to and, and almost you can speak to their own traumas and things that they're dealing with and help them deal with that in a way. Miller gets lots of positive feedback from students, but she still tries to push herself to try new things on stage. Sometimes she does what she calls persona poems, where she takes on the persona of someone else when she performs. I actually performed for the um, MLK celebration, and I did it from the perspective of Marsha P. Johnson, who is a transgender woman, and me not being a transgender woman, it was something that was a new experience, it was very scary. But, you know, I talked with other people who were in the trans community, and that was one of the things that also like really like opened my mind to the diversity here at Texas State, just because you do have so many people who come from different backgrounds and different homes and different just environments growing up. And so like poetry is a way to connect them as well. Miller's studying psychology and hopes to someday use poetry to help people work through their issues. But beyond that, she thinks writing and performing are great ways for young people to get out their frustrations when they often feel like they don't have a voice. Um, a lot of times like I write about, you know, being a black woman in America facing racism and, you know, sexism on campus and just dealing with that kind of stuff. Um, I actually it's not done yet, but I'm currently in the process of writing a poem um, about the whole Connor Clegg situation um, and just trying to really write about like politics that affect me. Um, just now that I've turned 18, I'm really starting to get into like voting and being in student government and national government and being involved. Before stepping on stage to perform at an open mic, Miller makes it clear just how important she feels poetry and spoken word are in this day and age. Poetry is more than an art form, it's a lifestyle. Like I grew up feeling like I was in like the dark, like I was missing something. And then when I found poetry, it was like a whole new world was open to me. Didn't mean to connect with anything higher than his chest. And even then, didn't mean to cause injury. 
a bit. Did you know there was a device known as a derailing? It's used to intentionally derail trains that may enter unauthorized zones. Sometimes I wonder if my fist was an effective derailing. I wonder if the collision actually happened some days. Those days when passing trains sound like flashbacks, when the smell of burning coal awakened my inner conductor, and I think of him, and how he must now have a scar from the stitches, and a smile, because he got just what he deserved. The First Amendment is about much more than freedom of the press and religion. In fact, our concept of free speech should reach into the world of performance as well. This is perhaps more important today than ever before. For In the Public Interest, I'm Adam Smith. Freedom of speech is seen everywhere. What is important is that we understand what the First Amendment entails and realize that even though we have the right to say it, that doesn't always mean that we should. Time and place can also be large factors that determine whether our speech or opinions are okay to express. Exactly. You can't shout fire in a crowded theater is the best example. In today's media age, the First Amendment is getting tested daily, but it still remains strong. Kind of what you would expect from a foundation. As media people, we could definitely go on for days about the importance of freedom of speech. But we should probably get going. I guess it is that time. Thanks for listening, everyone. For In the Public Interest, I'm David West. And I'm Talia Johnson-Watkins. We leave you with this quote from our 32nd president, Franklin Roosevelt. Freedom of conscience, of education, of speech, of assembly are among the very fundamentals of democracy, and all of them would be nullified should freedom of the press ever be successfully challenged. <laughs>